You're listening to sermon audio from Grace Mosaic, a congregation of the Grace DC Network in Northeast DC. For more information about our church, visit us online at gracemosaic.org. What do you see? Not, not, not literally. I see a, a sanctuary, a crowd of people, some dude up front asking me weird questions. Not literally. Like, what do you see? What's always in your field of vision in life right now? Maybe it's a romantic partner. It's like you see their face everywhere. It's called love. <laughs> or maybe it's your job or the mountain and pile of work that you've got school-wise, always seeing that list of unfinished tasks just scrolling before your eyes. It's all you see. Or maybe it's something that's hurting, a hurting relationship, a hard decision, and everything you see seems to remind you of that thing. A few weeks ago, right after turning out the lights at night, my youngest daughter said to me, Daddy, I still see the lights flashing. It's like stars inside my eyes. If you stare at something long enough, Even after closing your eyes, you can still see it. What have you been staring at lately, beloved? What do you see? Our passage today from Isaiah 40 is an Advent invitation to see. As Pastor Rush showed us last week, looking at the first few verses of this chapter, This is a a chapter of Isaiah in which God promises comfort to his people. They've rebelled against God, resisted his grace, refused to repent. So they were forced into exile by pillaging armies from Assyria, Babylon. And they've now lost everything that they've treasured, homes, livelihoods, loved ones, Even, it seemed, their God. All they see around them, all they can see is heaps of ruin, destruction, darkness, depravity, death. We heard it earlier in the first Old Testament reading. You make me see iniquity. Destruction and violence are before me. Strife and contention arise. It's all they see. Maybe that puts a few words to what you've been feeling lately. Maybe you haven't experienced literal exile, but you feel estranged, broken relationships. You feel far from home longing to get home. Maybe you're burdened by the guilt of your sin. It's a crushing burden that you just can't bear anymore. Maybe you're not facing literal death, but it certainly feels like you're walking through the valley of the shadow of death. See, and it's in the midst of this darkness that a herald of good news appears on the scene, shows up in our passage and in our lives. See, it's like word has just come from a watchman. Light has dawned in the darkness. The king has finally come. 
a herald announces the good news. Behold your God. See, behold is a, it's a seen word. It's used three times here. Behold is an invitation to look, to notice. Do you see your God returning from battle, victorious, crowned with light, riding hard on a galloping horse to bring comfort to his sinful, suffering people? Behold your God. Theologian Herman Bovink once wrote, to believe is to struggle against the appearance of things. I know things appear dark. Things appear desolate. But in the midst of it all, do you know what you most need? Do you know what you most need to see? You need to see God. You need to see God coming to you, a God who advents, behold your God. But there's something specific in this passage that invites us something specific to see and to notice about this God who advents, the God who comes near. What is it? It's his arms. Have you noticed his arms? This imagery is found twice. Verse 10, verse 11, and it actually links the whole passage together. We're told to notice two things about the arms of God, that they are arms of mightiness and they are arms of tenderness. Let's look at each of these in turn. First, behold his arms of mightiness. Look at verse 10 again. Behold, the Lord God comes with might and his his arm, there it is, arm, rules for him. Behold, his reward is with him and his recompense before him. God's arm is a symbol of his strength. Sometimes the Bible will talk about God stretching out his hand or his arm, ready for battle, even ready to judge. Sometimes it will refer to his, his power, his ability. And so places like Isaiah 59 will say, surely the arm of the Lord is not too short to save. He's, he's not unable. Your problems are not out of his reach. Isaiah 52.10 says, The Lord has bared his holy arm before the eyes of all the nations. Listen, God invites you to watch him flex. In other words, and other expressions support this picture of God's power. First, he's referred to as the Lord God. That actually translates... One of the biggest titles that we find in the Old Testament for God, Adonai Yahweh, it can also be translated the sovereign Lord, the one who governs all things, the one who holds all things together in his hands. We're told he comes with might. We're told his arm rules like a king that's ready to accomplish his redeeming purposes for his people out of his love. As one commentator put it, God's arm is his personal strength 
in action. Now, let's be honest. Let's be honest. Oftentimes we live with a quiet suspicion that God is weak. Unable to say, coming up short. We're suspicious. God is too weak to forgive my sin. That, that, that one sin, big as it is, or again and again and again and again as it is. God is too weak to, to keep his promises. He, he's going to forget. It's going to slip his mind. His memory is soft. Too weak to rescue you from your troubles. Too weak to raise you from the dead. But beloved, if we see his arms of mightiness, we become bold as lions. We become people of freedom, even in the midst of the darkness. We hear God say, fear not. We find those very words in, in verse 9, fear not, because when this mighty God with his flexed arms are on your side, you've got nothing to be afraid of. You may know Jack Grealish. He's a member of the English national soccer team. It's World Cup time. We've got to talk soccer. Excuse me, football. Recently, maybe you did too, saw a video where Grealish meets a young man. His name is Finley, 11-year-old English boy, who has cerebral palsy. And his favorite pro player in the universe is this one, Jack Grealish. Well, Finley wrote to Jack a letter, as many young fans will do, and in addition to talking about how much he loves this professional player and how much he admires him, he also tells him a little bit about his, his own family. The boy says, you know, my mom, she's this, and I've got a sister, and, and my dad plays with me in the garden, soccer. He plays with me, and he never lets me win. I will one day, he says with quiet resolve. And as Grealish on the video is reading this letter, he stops at that point and he looks up. Oh, you're going to have to invite me over at some point, Finley. Then you and me can team up on your dad, and I'm sure we'll win. <laughs> you see, because it doesn't matter what condition you are in when you're on the playing field. When you've got the right hero on your team, you're going to win. You have one. David has slain the giant. What team are you on? You'd want it to be his. The rescuer has crushed the head of the serpent. The king is victorious, and the king has come. He can save you. His arm is not too short to save, so fear not. Fear not. And fight not. Because when you have the one who has fought and won, beloved, you don't need to fight no more. You can exhale. You can actually stop fighting to prove your worth. You can rest from the need to fight to show yourself worthy of love. 
you can actually rest from your labors and know that you are still precious in the sight of God. You don't need to keep trying to be your own conqueror because God has won and because God is strong. Listen, evil in our world, evil is really strong. Sin indwelling in us is very, very, very strong, very tough. Darkness in our world and in our hearts is relentless. But what here is the message? What is the prophet telling us? Hit the spiritual gym? Flex harder? No. Don't you see the one who has flexed? Don't you see the one who has won? Some of you need to stop fighting. God will fight for you. As he told his people in the Old Testament, you need only to be still. His arms of mightiness, do you see them? Do you receive them? Are you freed by them? Freed from fear. Free from fighting. There's a second thing that we see in this passage that we're called to behold. It's not just his arms of mightiness, it's also his arms of tenderness. Look at verse 11. He will tend his flock like a shepherd. He will gather the lambs in his, his what? Arms. He will carry them in his bosom and gently lead those that are with young. Listen, you notice it? The, the very same arms of, of mightiness here, the prophet describes as arms of tenderness. Same God. Who's a God like our God? The picture here is of a tender-armed shepherd and his sheep. Now, before we consider what this teaches us about God, we need to reckon with what it teaches us about us. So, of all the animals in the world, with which one did God choose to describe his people, you and me? So, look, you can imagine, if you will with me, that one day in eternity past, God lined them all up, all the animals, <laughs> placing them on a spectrum, as it were, sort of in order. And uh, over here, you got a fox. Okay, you have a fox here, and, and you're quick to say, yeah, that's, that's something like me. You know, smart, sophisticated, a little bit sneaky. <laughs> but that's me right there. That, that, that's me right there. Fox, right, God? That, that's your pick? Now... Without saying anything, God skips over the fox. He moves down the road. He, he pauses over the pig. Makes you a little nervous. But you're like, all, all, all right, I'll, I'll, take, I'll take it. 
Unexpected intelligence. Huh? All right, underdog. I like that, all right? But then, God keeps going down the line. And you start to get discouraged when he skips over the city pigeons. And then finally, way over here, God's like, ah, sheep, that's the one. That's what my people be like. Sheep. Listen, I know some of y'all like sheep. Some of you kids got little sheep. Let me tell you the truth about sheep. Not the sharpest knife in the drawer. <laughs> Completely defenseless against predators. Prone to wander off, get lost, not even know they're lost, starve and die. Okay, so you're the lamb here. Verse 11. Beloved, it's not a compliment. It's the truth about ourselves that we don't want to accept. We are foolish. We are helpless. Which is hard for folks in D.C. to accept. We are helpless. We need a shepherd. And what a shepherd we have. He will tend his flock. That means feed them, give them good grass to graze on. He will gather the lambs in his arms, holding them close, comforting them, protecting them, even with his own body, don't you see? And almost for certain, Isaiah's listeners would have heard this gathering language as a promise that they would soon return home, restored from exile. As Isaiah chapter 11 had said, God will gather the exiled of Israel, gather the dispersed of Judah, and bring them home. He will carry them in his bosom, his chest, as commentators note, a symbol of intimate loving care, and no one can snatch them, these sheep, from the shepherd's hands. No one, no one can pluck you from his arms. He will gently lead those that are with young, which means, of course, that he's got special concern for the vulnerable. These little ones. Not only the young lambs themselves, though, but the mama sheep who are nursing them, too. Because sometimes those who most care for the weak get weak themselves. Caregivers, your shepherd sees you. Knows how hard it's been. How long you've been going. Your shepherd gently leads you leads you to water, to rest, to refreshment. We're not ready for a tender-armed God like this, though, are we? We expect a stiff-arming God, but this God embraces us with open arms. We expect him to keep us at arm's length, get sick of us, reject us, 
because of our moral failings, our sins, we expect his mercies to run out. And yet he is sympathetic towards us, says Hebrews, in all our weaknesses. Here's a God who never lashes out or runs away. He runs towards sinners no, with his, his mercy, no, no matter what you have done. He runs towards you like the father who sees his prodigal son from far off. And he showers you with his kisses. So tender is this God before his sinful and suffering people. Dane Ortland, who wrote a, a very good book, Gentle and Lowly, says this about our Savior. I'm going to read extensively because it's too good to pass up. Christ does not cringe at reaching out and touchy, dirty, touching dirty sinners and numbed sufferers. Such embrace is precisely what he loves to do. Jesus is not trigger-happy, not harsh, reactionary, easily exasperated. He's the most understanding person in the universe. The posture most natural to him is not a pointed finger, but open arms. He wept at the tomb of Lazarus. He weeps with us in our lonely despair. The same one who reached out and touched lepers puts his arm around us today when we feel misunderstood and sidelined. The Jesus who reached out and cleansed messy sinners reaches into our souls and answers our half-hearted plea for mercy with the mighty, invincible cleansing of one who just cannot bear to do otherwise. So great is his love. So endless his tenderness. This is just who he is. Some of us today are running away from God because we don't believe that his arms are tender. Some of us are refusing to repent, turn back to God, because you don't believe that his arms are tender. Some of us are insisting on suffering alone, even stiff-arming brothers and sisters around you, because you don't believe his or their arms can be tender. Some of us are, are dealing with hardened hearts, not realizing it's not, the heart, it's not a heart that God wants you to have, because we don't believe that his arms are tender. Do you believe in this God. Listen, 11-year-old Finley, right? Eventually he met Jack Grealish, again, his favorite player. Met face-to-face -face. while they were talking. Jack actually made this bold promise. He, he, he actually said, I'll do a celebration for you next time I score a goal. Now, I haven't scored a lot of goals lately, but if I do, I'll do it. What do you want me to do? And, and the little boy said, oh, do the worm. He's like, I, I can't do the worm. Uh, <laughs> And then he said, okay, then how about next time you score, you do this? And he kind of did this flopping his arms kind of thing and dangling his arms. And, 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 and Grealish, with sort of a, a chuckle and a laugh, was like, really? Okay, okay, I'll, I'll do it. Last week, you might know, last week when England matched up against Iran, Grealish scored a goal. And afterwards, there he was on the pitch, a billion people around the world watching. There he was, 
flopping and swinging his arms for Finley. Because that's what tenderness does. And I'm convinced that's what God would have done. So zealous is he to delight in his people and to keep his promise. So shamelessly tender is he. His arms tender, mighty. Where can we find arms like this? Both mighty and tender, both powerful and gentle. See, usually we've got to choose. Usually you've got to choose. And usually what you get then is either from another person or out of your own soul, harsh domineering strength, or well-intentioned but powerless gentleness. And those are your options. Where can we find both? Beloved, I know someone like this. I know someone like this. Behold him. Behold the one whose mighty hand and art outstretched arm, that same arm, delivered his people out of slavery in Egypt. Behold the one of whom his mother sang while he was still in her womb. My soul magnifies the Lord. He has shown strength with his arm. Scattered the proud, brought down the mighty, exalted the humble. Behold the one who with infinitely mighty arms laid them down and allowed himself to be held at birth in his mother's arms. Behold the one who held little children in his arms, who reached out to touch lepers with his arms and welcomed sinners with opened arms. Behold the one who with arms of tenderness let his arms to be stretched out with violence as they were pierced by nails on the cross. And behold the one who's coming again. And when he comes, he will stretch out his healing arms one last time and he will wipe every tear from your eyes and crying and pain and sin and death will be no more. Behold your Jesus. Are you tired? Look at his arms. Behold your God. You angry? Behold your God. You feel weak? Behold your God. You feel helpless. Behold your God. Behold your God this morning. But one more thing. One last thing. And then I got to go catch an Uber. <laughs> Heralds are announcing the good news. That's how the passage opens. Go up on a high mountain. Heralds of good news lifting up their voices with strength lifting them up and saying to the cities, Behold your God, who are these heralds? It's God's people. They're telling others to see what they themselves have seen. 
Behold your God. Who are the heralds of this good news, calling people to see the God of both arms? Who are they? You are. I am. Called to run around to high mountains to tell the cities about good news, about God's arrival, the first time and the second time. This message that goes out from Jerusalem, from, from Zion of the Lord's coming, shouting with joy and invitation and welcome about a victory already accomplished, about comfort that's on its way, about a God who has arrived. And so your final commission then from this passage is to go out this Advent and tell people, tell people, behold your God. Tell them with your mouths and tell them with your hands. Uh, tell them by feeding them with words of life and giving them food on the table. But people that go out and, and, and offer comfort. You yourselves being agents of tear wiping, care, and mercy. Going out as heralds to bring strength to people that feel weak. People that we are joining together with as weak people, announcing as a community of heralds, behold your God. Behold your God. See his arms. Go out and share good news. Fleming Rutledge, who Pastor Irwin quoted earlier, also wrote, to each and all we bring this announcement. God will come and his justice will prevail. And he will destroy evil and pain in all its forms once and forever. Do you see that he came, that he's coming again, that he's coming towards you now? Behold your God, dear flock, what do you see? Let's pray. Thanks for listening to this podcast from Grace Mosaic. For more information about our church, visit us online at gracemosaic.org.